I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Du. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Yay! Okay, Yay. here we are, episode 41. I have to do my own applause. My sound bank is not with me. I'm on the road. So, uh, that's, <laughs> that's our studio audience. This well, week. we're also going to truncate it because we want to get right to our guest, a very oh special God. guest today. We have such an amazing guest today. We have an iconic guest today. Cassandra Peterson is her name. You may know her best as Alvira. Mistress of the dark. The crowd will be going wild if they were here. But absolutely. So she'll be here. But real quickly, what do we want to catch up on before we bring her on, Steve? Just, you know, there's life gets in the way. And sometimes today we had some issues with recording. So I want to get the most out of the time we have with her. So what's going on today is we're learning how to be flexible. Let's just get right to it. <laughs> okay, great. Let me bring her on. So glad to have you on the podcast. I think we're still under an NDA, so I can't. I can't say where and how we met, but I will say it was a recording oh. for something. 
It was a recording for something, and I'm so glad for that fortuitous circumstance because I had to text the photo home to my husband right away. Look, we're so excited to have you on. You are, well, you know, you're a legend. I'm a legend. What can I say? I don't know. That's so funny. I was so glad I met you on the undisclosed project yes. we worked on. I can't <laughs> wait for people to see that. But it was Me so either. great meeting you. You're you're like a walking encyclopedia of horror and you remember all the details that i totally cannot remember are you I, serious I well, i've got to yeah. ask the question yeah. you know you, by that. okay you, great you became are you it evolved the character of elvira because one of your friends said that you should try out for this horror hostess gig does that imply right. that you were already a, a real horror fan Oh, yeah. I was a horror fan since I was a little kid. When I was about seven or eight years old, my cousin took me to see my first horror movie. It was a Roger Corman movie starring Vincent Price, House on Haunted Hill. Yes. And yes. I I just became obsessed with that movie. I just, I don't know, you know, immediately just like, oh, what is that? And I was at once in love with it and also completely repelled by it. But I really, really got hooked on those horror movies and started going to those, started buying famous monsters of film land magazine. Right. Did you ever meet Forey Ackerman? Forey Ackerman? Oh, yes. Forey Ackerman. Yeah, I met him. What a character, man. I met him and and hung out with him many, many times. Yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, He was was such an icon for me. He was like, whoa, I can't believe I'm meeting Forey. Forey was wonderful. And his house, the basement of his house was just a, a museum. Yep. Oh, yeah. I went there. I went through the whole thing. His collection of stuff was seriously was a museum. I hope somebody has all that. that, I believe so. I believe it's been put into a museum. You know, the thing that struck me about you as opposed, you know, it struck me really quickly as opposed to other hosts is that you got the joke. You were you loved these movies, but you also understood that most of them were horrifying. I mean, just in terms of just bad different ways, different ways, right, right. Not just horrifying, like scary, but horrifying, like low budget, piecing movies together, sometimes terrible acting, sometimes terrible costumes. But I enjoyed that about these old horror movies. I love the naivety that will like never be captured again. That was, I think, the only time in history that'll ever happen because people now are just too smart to to make a movie that's that bad. You know, I mean, there are bad movies out there, don't get me wrong, but not in that kind of naive, wonderful way that these old 50s and 60s classics were. Just love of the genre. Let's get together, make a movie, just crazy energy. Yeah, it's kind of like that old Judy Garland thing. Let's make a show. That's right, let's put on a show. Mickey Rooney, just, you know... Yeah, it was kind of like that, you know, back then. Let's make a horror movie. What will the costume be? How about some shag carpeting over my dog? (laughs) (laughs) That's hysterical. That's uh, Killer Shrews. Killer Attack. You got it. Wow, look at you. No, he's just like Yeah, Killer Shrews. Attack the Killer Shrews. The Afghan hound in a pointy mask and some shag carpeting. (laughs) (laughs) Way to make a movie. Now that's filmmaking. It really is. It it is that the essence of that kid creativity thing. You know, 
and I think that all that you have is stay in touch with that kid inside you and then develop as many adult skills as possible, but never lose touch of that kid. I think you just put your finger on, on it. That is what it is. It's still that naive kid energy that comes with those films. Now I think people are too sophisticated to do that accidentally. You know what I mean? Yeah, and they and would they, get completely dragged in social media. Well, before we go to happen again. No, before we go too deeply into the conversation, I want to make sure we mention that we are talking about your book, Yours Cruelly, Elvira, which is out in paperback this month. And I'm just I'm not just saying this because you're a guest. I, I got the audiobook, which I love that you're reading the audiobook. So it's just like talking to you. But that's where I, 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 you know, we got that story about your friend telling you about the audition. And what I love about that story, those of you who haven't read the book yet, this is an audition that had been going on for a week. They had auditioned hundreds of people for this role. And the reason you got the part, even though you showed up, you weren't even dressed in the makeup. You were just showing up, not realizing that you were supposed to come in character. But you had time to punch up the little script. And do you think that, do. that that was the key? That Was that a key to you getting that part? A hundred percent. I'm sure it was. They they gave us a script that actually, I believe, was an old Vampira script right. in the 50s. Because Vampira had actually worked on that station back in the 50s. I mean, around the time I was born. Wow. And so I think this old script was a Vampira script. And boy, was it schlocky p-u it was terrible so i had time to sit there thank god i was the last one to go in and being a groundling i was in the improv group the groundlings in la you learn to kind of think on your feet and i was able to sit there and kind of come up with a few dorky jokes and throw them in and and i think that's what made the difference i mean i think it was it would be hard to win that audition with the script they gave you well that was your key i love that it was writing that was your key We've talked about yeah, the essence of we've talked about the essence of creativity and how improv is one of those essence of creativity because you don't know what's about to happen next. You do it. You don't know how right. the other people on the stage are going to react. And we have suggested improv for writers, you know, just to to teach them to get in touch with that creativity. Would you talk to us a little bit about your experience in the Groundlings and the and the mental emotional set that is necessary to do improv? Yeah, it, improv is such a great, I, I think it's something that almost everybody should take a little bit of. doesn't matter if you want to be an actor or a comedian, doesn't matter. I actually talked to my lawyer and my one of my doctors into taking some groundlings classes because they go out and they have to speak publicly, you know, or, you know, give little speeches or, you know, go to court and give their spiel. And the improv background really, really helps you think on your feet. It, if you can get out there not knowing anything you're going to do and you have to do something, you just see that you you pull it out of I don't know where. I don't want to say I want to pull it out. <laughs> no, that's okay. We can lose our clean rating. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you just suddenly, you're up there, you're doing it. And once you do that, and you do it a lot, you get really comfortable with being on stage, being in front of people. And I think it's a fantastic thing for like anyone who has to make any public appearance or do any public speaking, period. And especially, of course, with actors who are always doing that. But the improv, help, help, the improv helped me in so many ways. I am 
100% positive I would not be doing this career now had I not had that background in improv. Wonderful. Valuable. And it's fun. And you learned, it was so cute. I was at New York City Comic Con and one of the fans came up to me and he said, I'm just starting an improv group. Can you give me any pointers? And I said, yes, always say yes. When someone on stage asks you a question, you say yes, and you go with it. Because the way to shut down an improv or shut down anything that's funny is say, somebody says, oh, I hear you just lost your job. And you go, oh, no, I, I'm still working at McDonald's. Why? <laughs> oh, no. You go, you've got to go, yes, I did. Can you believe they fired me from McDonald's? And the other person has it. oh, my gosh. And you keep building on just the positive parts. Yes, yes. The minute no is introduced, end of story, cut out the lights, you know? So you don't throw in negativity to your improv partner. It just no, stops you just it say yes, yes. Even if they say something that you don't like, you know, oh, I hear you're a stripper now. Yes, that's right. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's what you just keep going with it. And that's the show must go that on. leads you to here's our process of writing was was this. You do a sketch completely improvised. You don't know what you're doing. Sometimes the audience members gives you a character to play, you know, like you're a showgirl and you're a dentist or whatever. And then you go on with your little improv thing. And many times some one or two little lines come out of it that are so funny or a particular voice or a look or something you do comes out of it. That's funny. You take that and then you go back and you develop that into a longer sketch use a few of those little things, you write it out. And some nights you have an improv where there's absolutely nothing that is interesting or that you really want to use, but it's waiting for those little gems to happen that you then go back and expound upon. You're talking about the nature of creativity itself. It's just creativity on your feet, under pressure, in front of an audience with a group of people who hopefully are like-minded. Yes, exactly. You know, so... If you're going to be in a writer's room, it, the, the reality is obvious that, that brainstorming requires that you come up with a ton of ideas and not judge them until afterwards. Right, right. So, But the same thing would be true of what's called mindstorming, doing this if you're alone working on something, coming up with a ton of different ideas, seeing where they go and realizing you can go back and prune if necessary, but give that little creative part of you the voice to say whatever comes up. And you yes. fix it later. So, yep. and this... then believe me, things fly out of your mouth that you would never expect. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, where'd that come from? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's your subconscious mind, yes. and, and you you get so so frightened and so nervous, and and then just things come out of your mind mouth that you go, "Wow, where'd that come from?" And it's the group mind. It is, yeah. you know, it's it's yeah. you you create a totality by surrendering. To the people around you, you created an entity there. Yep, yep. So, did you notice that? Like, who were some of the people that you partnered with over the years that changed the the tone of the improvisation? Well, I I cannot tell you how much influence I got from my fellow groundlings. Who my the the three that I looked up to the most were one John Paragon, who was my writing partner of twenty seven years. We wrote both my movies together. We wrote a million and one video projects and and live shows and everything together. But John Paragon is probably best known, although he became a director and 
did a lot of really, really great things. He's probably best known as Jambi the Genie in Pee Wee's Playhouse. Hey, and, whatever uh, it takes. <laughs> right? So he was he was on there with me. And then Paul Rubens, mm. who's Pee Wee Herman. And then Phil, Phil Hartman from mm. Saturday Night Live. Oh, yes. And there were three people. I mean, there were dozens of groundlings who were brilliant. I'm not discounting them at all. There were so many. But those three guys, I just, I would sit in the audience watching them before I joined the groundlings and just go, what do I do to be like them? What can I do to be like them? Because I looked up to them so much and took lots of pointers from all of them. I wish I could say I was as great as any of them, but I'm not. But I did get lots, lots of good, good input from them. You are unique, though. You became who you are, which is all any of us can do as artists. You found your way to express yourself. And it looked like you were having fun. I was, and I still am. 40 years later, it's like, I still have fun doing the character. I still have fun getting up in front of people. It was funny. I was, again, at Comic-Con the other night. I had to get up in front of a crowd of 3,000 people and just kind of talk to them about Funko Pops which is my little little yes. dolls I have out there. And I had somebody say afterwards, you got up there and you were so comfortable. You were just chatting. And, and I go, that's that's my improv comedy background. You, you know, it just makes, you get up on stage and you're just not afraid anymore. You, if I screw up, I screw up. It'll be funny. Ha ha, big deal. Cassandra, I think you're our first guest who has been a Funko Pop. I don't know. I don't. I can't think of anyone else we've had on the show who has their own. So that is just another milestone. What's great in reading your book and and the struggles of an actress like coming up on the old age of thirty to really find this opportunity, make this character your own, is is such an extraordinary journey and story. I remember when I met you, you talked a little bit about how much work Elvira was in terms of the costuming and how heavy <laughs> it's very interesting. And you don't look anything in person like her, which is is so fascinating too, which is something that had just not dawned on me. I mean, I knew you were in makeup, but I hadn't realized how thorough the transition is between Cassandra and Elvira. Yeah, it's a big deal. I'm, I'm happy to say I'm not dressing up as much these days, which I know people go, oh, boo-hoo, but Ah, that costume. I mean, it's the only part of doing the character that I really have to say I wasn't crazy about, you know, but after putting on that makeup 4,975,000 times, you know, and it takes about an hour and a half to get into the whole drag. It's just like, ah, then once I get in drag, I have a great time. I'm having fun. Right. But the process of just sitting there putting on makeup, I mean, that's no fun. I'm thinking of all the hours I wasted putting makeup on. Right? No, not wasted. Wasted <laughs> hours spent providing delight for for your. Thank you. I'll, I'll try to look at it that way. <laughs> That's yeah. And 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 horror is such a tightly knit community. I'm noticing now, especially through social media. Some of the people we were on the program with that we can't talk about yeah. in the field. It's such a welcoming space. How have you felt about? the evolution of horror in recent years is getting kind of fancy as a horror fan. What's it like now to be a horror fan? You know, since I started out, which is back in the ancient times and till now, the one thing I love about horror today is the inclusion of so many, the whole horror genre, whether it's behind the camera, in front of the camera, writers, whatever it may be. So inclusive, I think. I mean, 
so many women worked in horror, so many, so much di- diversity, I think, in horror in general, more than the general, you know, film, whatever. So you, you think we're leading? Horror is leading in diversity in some ways? Right I now? absolutely do. And I think it started with women. It's funny. I mean, back in the day, women were, were very secondary characters in horror movies. If you look at some of the old Roger Corman films and that, you know, all of that, the women were the victims. And they right. got killed off right away. <laughs> no, they never kind of drove the film or anything, rarely. Maybe some really old ones like Dracula's Daughter from, gosh, that was from the 20s. 40s? 40s, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. But there was a movie with a strong female character, you know, but they were few and far between. But I love now how so many women are behind the camera and are writing horror and are starring in horror and they're not the victims. They're the, you know, the... The, what's the word I'm looking for? The protagonist. The hero. The protagonist. Thank she you. <laughs> so that's the best thing about the horror genre, I'll tell you. And 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 the funny thing about horror is that I go to a lot of horror conventions that are horror specific. You could not find a nicer group of people. I mean, I honestly, agree. it's crazy. It's here they are, you know, with blood and guts and God knows what. And the people are just generally the kindest, sweetest. People, my fans are so wonderful. I asked one time I was at a convention and there was a, a waitress there that I started talking to. And I said, I said, you must do conventions all the time. She goes, oh, all the time here at the hotel. I go, who, what's your favorite group here? She goes, the horror crowd. They're the nicest, kindest. They tip the best. They don't demand things. They're polite. I said, who's your worst one? And she goes, the religious crowd. Oh, <laughs> Surprising no one. <laughs> yeah, she says, we have conventions here. They're rude. They're angry. We can never do anything fast enough for them. They don't tip. You know, I'm like, wow, well, that's, that's a lot right there. Isn't that interesting? Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. 
So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going to guess that horror fans have the capacity to empathize with a very wide range of human experience and even extend that empathy into... Huh? I think you put your finger right on it again. You have a good way with words there, mister. (laughs) Thank you. I think I'll keep him. This is a subject, you know, I've loved horror all my life, Cassandra. I, I, you know, and I love science fiction and I love writing and creativity. And I love having an opportunity to talk to people who exemplify or have been a part of Mm -hmm. that. And what we try to do on this show is to provide a trail of breadcrumbs for other, for people who want to follow, you know, because the woods can seem dark and deep. So I, one question I love asking is, if you could put a message in a bottle to oh, the boy. girl you were at 17. Oh boy. <laughs> and you know, give her a piece of advice to help ease her along this path and 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 give her a life of even greater joy and service and, and contribution and success. What would you say to that young woman? Well, first of all, when I was 17, I was a showgirl in Las Vegas, so I'd say, put some clothes on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That would be my first words. But my second words would actually be the advice that Elvis Presley gave me as a Uh 17-year-old. And that is, get the hell out of Vegas. There is so much more that you need to discover about yourself. Try other things. Try to sing. For example, he said, you can sing. Sing, you know, get some lessons. Learn to sing. I just, I thought I had made it. When I was 17 and I became a showgirl in Vegas, that, that was my goal. And there I was. Wow, I accomplished my dream at 17. What do I do now? And in fact, that was just the beginning. And Elvis Presley is the person that made me realize that. And I honestly think if, if, he hadn't, if I hadn't met him, I was then the youngest showgirl in Las Vegas history. I would now be the oldest showgirl. Oh, wow. <laughs> what was your impression of Elvis? My impression was he was genuine, totally authentic, kind, really interested in other people, and and an amazing person. I mean, I, I think he got bamboozled by some people who really just saw him as the golden, the goose that laid the golden egg. Right. Worked him right into the ground. Really, really literally worked him into the ground. You know, he had so much more. I just wonder what he could have accomplished had someone like the colonel not come along and turned him into mush. He was so yeah, like, it's so interesting because he gave you such golden advice in, in words, yeah. but in, in action, he also gave you advice in another way in terms of balance in your life. And, mm-hmm. and the, I remember one of our conversations when we met was about that, that work-life balance. And as your time is coming to a close, I am mindful of your time here. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give Artists, you know, the, the 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 industry will take everything out of you if you let it. It will. Yep, so it will. how do you keep yourself centered? Yeah, that's one of the things about you is you you've had amazing longevity. Yeah. And you 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 have the same energy. And so I know that you must have a self-care routine to, to stay sane and balanced and healthy. Please share. Oh, good Lord. I wish I had like a magic bullet that I could give to everybody. Actually, I would sell it. Elvira's magic bullet. Whatever. Yes. No, I don't know. You know, I, I, I honestly think it boils down to, you know, uh, 
John Paragon, who I was telling you was my writing partner. He passed away last year. I'm sorry. Sad. And oh, he's really missed. But he said one time to me, and this is the stupidest thing ever. He said, forget what you're thinking when I went out on stage. Don't be nervous. Just have fun. If you're not having fun, quit. He said, have fun. And I tell everybody that. I mean, just as long as you're enjoying what you're doing and you're having fun, if it becomes completely miserable and a nightmare, nightmare, get out. Do something else. Stop. You know, just stop. Yep. You need to have fun. Just go at a project thinking those two words. Have, have fun. fun. Yep. That's beautiful. I mean, we just have time. Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead, T. No, I was just going to say we have time maybe for one more question. And as a writer who co-authored a memoir with my mother, and I know this book, I think, came out last year, and now it's coming out in paperback this year. What, How freeing has it been or nerve-wracking has it been to have this book out in the world? You were telling your life story. Yeah, it, it was. I have moments where I go, oh, my God, did I really say that? Did I really tell people that? It was very freeing. I, I liked I liked putting all that all that out there, but I do have some moments about things like my relationship with my mother. Mm. I made a lot of a lot of people that knew my mom and a lot of relatives very unhappy with that stuff. They didn't want to hear that she wasn't like a great mom. She was a fun person. She went out, people loved her. But at home with kids, she was not a fun person. Mm. And I don't think a lot of my relatives or some of my mom's friends knew that side of her. Mm-hmm. And my book really upset them. And, right. you know, I, I just had to tell it from the perspective that I saw from, that's the only way I could tell it, you know, you can't just make up stuff. So that was, you know, that's something I almost, almost regret, but you have to tell your truth. You have to say what it was like for you. you know? No, it's true. There were many things my mom did not let me put in our book. So I can yeah. totally understand that. Well, my mom, I knew I couldn't write my autobiography until my mom passed away because right. it would have killed her. So um, <laughs> your your time is up, Cassandra. Oh, and you. we I'm want so to respect sorry. that. I, I could talk to you guys all day. You're so I know fun. it was so much fun, but good luck at promoting your book. We will look forward to seeing everything you do and happy spooky season. Thank you. Yeah. Happy Halloween to you guys. And I hope I see you again soon. You absolutely be lovely. Will. I'd love, you know, maybe we'll have a chance to have a cup of coffee one day. That would you be great. Take care oh. of yourself. All righty. That was so So great. I'm so glad you called her T because I can never say your name right. (laughs) (laughs) Not a read. There you go. So let's stay on here. That was Cassandra Peterson. That was the wonderful Cassandra Peterson sharing a little of her time and wisdom. On the show. That's a big, you know, I've got my pinky up now. We're fancy. <laughs> We're so fancy. So you know, we can go a little bit more into yeah, what we you're have working more time. on and what what I'm working on. So sure. why don't you why don't you get started? What, we'll what, do it backwards. We'll do it backwards this time. I'm on the East Coast this week again. Actually, this is the second podcast in a row I've been on the East Coast. Am I ever at home? And uh, this time it's a trip to Atlanta to see my dad. My he lives with my sister and my my youngest sister and I try to give her backup. So that when they're out of town, there's always somebody here. My dad will be 88 years old this month. And I just feel so fortunate to have him. When people say, how's he doing? And, you know, you can feel like sort of kind of a sadness about lack of mobility and and he has, you know, some dementia. But honestly, my attitude is I feel so lucky 
to still have my dad about to turn 88. And I was able to hand him a copy, a signed copy of The Keeper. And what's significant about that, that's our graphic novel that just came out. What's significant about that is that the characters of Grandma Lucille and Great Aunt Lydia are named after his mother and his grandmother. That's wonderful. So did he, he looked through the book? He did. I showed him some of the pictures. I'm not sure if he, you know, necessarily appreciated the horror elements involving the namesake characters. <laughs> I mean, Grandma Lucille does not come to a happy end in the story, but oh, well, it's the thought that counts. It's the thought that counts. It's the thought that counts. <laughs> That's right. That's so what about right. you? What do you what have you been doing while I've been gone? Okay. Well, I'm putting the the final touches on week five of the Fire Dance Tai Chi video. I've got a full Tai Chi course that's integrated with a morning ritual. It's a, you can check that out at ww.firedancetaichi.com. And uh, had lunch with Larry Niven a few days ago. We talked about the book that we're working on. And so today I'll be working on that. And I'm also working on a uh, I have to do a piece of flash fiction today. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm thinking I might want to do a piece of flash fiction about a horror host. How who... about that? Let, let be be inspired by this. Yeah, I, th- I think so because I think that the thing about a piece of flash fiction is that you have an initial creative emotional impulse and you just ride that impulse. It's like you know how fast can you type? Can you stay in that groove? Can you see everything that you want to say and then do it and do it fast? And I'm going to try it. It may not be more than you know 500 words. Let's see. I'm working on one that will be shortish. It won't be 500 words, unfortunately, but it's a bit of a surreal, almost parable style story that I'm infusing with real world details to keep the reader engaged. I don't want it to be too floaty because I want people to feel attachment to the the protagonist and her situation. But it's finally it's finally coming along. And and I, I think being here helped me realize what the story was about. Because I'm a little bit stuck. I had my premise. I'm not going to share it here. It's a surprise. I had my premise. I had my character. But, you know, we've talked about this. Sometimes with theme, often I do write to theme. But in this particular case, I didn't really know what the story was about. I had and I, I knew how it would end, but I didn't know what it was about. And I think I've I've landed on caretaking. It is about the toll of caretaking. And I'm grateful to say that it's not because of anything I'm feeling. I'm just really loving being here with my dad. I totally appreciate that my sister has a healthcare worker who comes in weekdays to help with that. But I think about like Christopher Reeve, for example, whose wife passed away. Her name was Dana, I believe. And she died very soon after he did. And I don't know for sure that that caretaking had anything to do with it, but that was always my impression. And I know when my mother was ill, it's tough. Yeah. In some cases, it might be that to be a good caretaker, you have to empathize completely with the person. You have right. to fall totally in love with them and, and seek to serve them. And I think that if if you're not careful, when they pass, you can have a, a hole in your life mm-hmm. that used to be filled by them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little bit like an empty nest syndrome, only larger. Exponentially larger, yes. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. It's almost as if... In crawling under their skin, which I agree with you, that's what you want to do. I remember so much absorbing, trying to absorb my mother's musical taste and trying to absorb the the things that she loved and just trying to almost imprint the memory so deeply, you know. And then when they're gone, it's it's a beyond dis- disorienting and unsettling and, and, and grief, it can be so overwhelming, especially when people don't learn tools to, to cope with grief. You know, we were talking... 
over the last few days, you know, as I, I'm trying to get used to the new house, mm-hmm. about how the living space that you're in, because we try to be happy within the strictures, you don't want to have pieces of yourself that are cut off because they don't fit where you are. Mm-hmm. You don't want to feel like you're rattling around there. You actually start, your know, life is a procrustean bed in that sense. And that when you change things, it can be a little bit like taking water and freezing the water in an odd-shaped container. You can <laughs> peel the container away, but right. the frozen water keeps the same shape. You have to melt the water. You know, this is I mean, clumsy analogy. No, I love this analogy. With, with love and focus and faith, then you can pour it into another container. Otherwise, you're mm-hmm. going to be lopping pieces of it off. Um, and That's so well put. I think that it can happen, you know, this this can happen, I think, in caretaking situations. You want to love the process. You want to feel like you are being of service, that there is some significance to this. And so if you're not careful, how do you suddenly do a 180 and change and, and go back? You, you There's something wrong. But what's scary is that if this analogy is accurate and useful, it also applies to oppressed people. Mm. Just like it applies to people in in prison, you know, it applies to I think you know slaves who are singing oh. spirituals out in the field. You're institutionalized. Upon emancipation, yeah. or upon you know when you're freed from incarceration, or you're out of that bad relationship. Who are you? Were if you defined yourself as a person who was comfortable within those strictures, are you going to feel that freedom is a form of oppression? That the you know it happens to people who become institutionalized in prison, and I think it happens to oppressed peoples too. That sometimes you aren't ready for the freedom when it arrives. I wonder about this in my own life, T. Mm-hmm. I wonder whether or not there were compromises I made to deal with what I felt were lacks of opportunity, and that now at this moment in time. The opportunities are there to a much greater degree, but I'm still the older person. It's like that the, the elephant, you know, who's as a baby, you, you tie it with a rope and, and to a stake in the ground. And when it's a grown elephant, if you keep doing that, it won't realize it can now pull that stake up easily. That that we that we define ourselves in certain ways. And in order to change, we have to be able to change those definitions. And I'm, I'm looking at this as as we're getting used to this new house and these new opportunities, the new potentials and, and issues. It's, I think, a valid question. It's it's a very good one. I mean, we've been all over the map with this podcast, talking about horror and the history of horror, and now we're talking about caretaking and and basically institutionalization, which is to well, if you could create about. a horror story. From, you know, any 60 seconds of what we've just been talking about, <laughs> you know, people who need to be caretakers, don't they, doesn't that run into Munchausen syndrome? The mothers right. who make their babies sick but also to be caretakers? Also, what I wanted to, to talk about, you know, to to bring in a real, real world aspect, we don't usually do a lot of news on this podcast, but President Biden just recently announced that thousands of marijuana possession offenses are going to be pardoned so that people have, who have been in prison are going to be set free. And I just heard someone talking about this last night on CNN, that it's great, let people out. They never should have been in prison in the first place, but it's not enough to let them out. You have to have services in place. There, you, you can't get housing very often if you federally funded housing, if you have uh, 
felony conviction. You often can't get jobs if you have a felony conviction. So so it's not just a matter of the individual adapting to the change, but it's the society that also needs to adapt. To well, in this case, you're talking about the horror here is that a person can make a mistake that harms no one. Right. Society at a particular period in time decides is going to be, you know, hugely illegal. And so they smoke a joint and they get caught and their life is trashed. Ridiculous. Because of that, they have a hard time getting work. They have a hard time getting loans. They start falling through the system. Their children experience after and sometimes end in up in foster care. They're, they can't raise their kids. They it's how, just the, the havoc is unfathomable. How many people have died in prison who were imprisoned for marijuana? Right. How and many people learned horrible realities or skills in prison? Found out things about themselves or had things done to them that changed them because they did something that we now are saying, "Oh, it's not so bad." Oh, it's just it's it's, it's horrible. It's one of the horrors of a social situation. And if we didn't need society, which we do, it would be easy. I can understand why so many people feel that, you know, that, that society is more of a hindrance than a help. Looking well, depending at, on who you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, looking at this and looking at how we can move the world forward, I think that people taking their emotions and their experiences, the things that hurt them and putting it into art yes. is a perfect way. It's certainly the tool that you and I have used that have helped keep us sane all it's a this lifesaver. time. A and lifesaver. it's what we try to do and what we have been successfully been doing with Life Writing Premium, where we are saying, take your emotional impulse. And I'm trying to learn this more from you, T, just being mm-hmm. honest. Just like I try to give you more understanding of how I look at structure, I want more understanding of how you use your emotions and flow them directly into your work in a way that is congruent with your life. And it's a way that, that touches your readers. And, mm-hmm. and I think that, that what you contributed, you know, I, I did a lot of stuff teaching life writing, but what you contributed with your lectures and your essays and your heart to what it was that I was trying to do makes it a better course. I could not have done this course without you. I could do another course that would be good, but I could not have done this. And I think, honestly, that both of us talking about this process creates one of the best teaching experiences that anybody can have online. Well, I appreciate that, especially since you were teaching life writing years before you even met me. But we did blend. You know, We blended the things that, that you do great, the things that I do great, and since we're both making bigger strides in Hollywood in recent years, we're also passing that along as fast yeah, as we, you as know, we just, learn it. You know, it's look, like Hollywood. Hollywood is this amazing place with fantastic potential, but there are sharks in the water, and some of those sharks will are going to be inside you, eating your dreams, asking mm. you to compromise yourself mm. and your values. In order to get money and success. And what we want to say is that, no, you do not have to do that. You can be who you are. You can be true to yourself. In fact, the people who have succeeded the most, like that wonderful Cassandra Peterson, Mm -hmm. this is a woman who very clearly has kept her sense of self. Yes. She played a character that opened the world to her, but she did not lose who she was. And if she got a piece of advice from somebody like Elvis, 
who clearly was of stupendous talent, but also lost himself in some ways. Yes. That, that what we've tried to do in Life Writing Premium is take these wisdoms from people who've actually walked the path, who've actually been there. And, you know, that question, what would you tell your younger self? I've asked that question of so many people, and I've put the answers into Life Writing Premium. Everything in there is what real writers, real artists, real creators said about what the path actually is. We've, and so if you go to www.lifewritingpremium.com, you'll get the very best that we have. Yes, I was, I almost cut you off there. I was just going to say that we've also struggled with writer's block, submission fear, <laughs> characterization. I was panicked about this story I'm writing now just yesterday. I figured, oh, will I get it done in time? Will it be any good? Will they like it? You know, we've been there. We've had the deep yearnings to share our hearts and dreams and really, honestly, to try to change the world as artists as much as we can. Sometimes a story can move people to action or change hearts and minds in a way that a speech or a hashtag won't. So everything from weekly reinforcement in your writing practices, a social media group, we have all kinds of tools to help you deal with your fear, your writer's block, and also craft issues. So check out www.lifewritingpremium.com. It's an affordable monthly subscription that will cost cancel any time. Let us help you. <laughs> yeah, let us even, help you. And even if you have an MFA, sometimes you just life gets in the way. You know, it's sometimes easier to write when you're in an environment like school and then you get out in the world and you need that structure again. So I could go on and on. You all know what it is. www.lifewritingpremium.com. It's great to see you on the Zoom, darling, because I'm It's great to see you, too. I miss you very much. I can't wait to pick you up on Wednesday. Yay, miss you, too. And thanks, after the fact, to our great guest. Yay! The legendary Cassandra Peterson, who did not disappoint in the slightest. What a lovely lady. That was so great. Everybody, go on. Make yourself the hero or heroine in your own story. The, The hero in the adventure of your lifetime. Bye-bye, everybody. Pretend there's applause. (laughs) Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life. My name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I am Kristen Russo. And together, we run Buffering, a rewatch adventure, a family of podcasts moving through our favorite 90s genre television. If you're a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, well, great news for you. Our very first podcast adventure took us through all seven seasons of the series. We covered it spoiler-free, episode by episode. For those of you who want to start the show for the first time, you can find that podcast pretty easily. It's called Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Inside that podcast, you'll also find an original song that pairs with each glorious episode of Buffy and original character jingles for so many of our Buffy favorites. Buffering has been praised in places like Time, Esquire, Paste Magazine, and the New York Times, and we've chatted with dozens of cast members, writers, directors, and fans along the way. Come hang out and rewatch some of your favorite television with us and a wonderful community of listeners. Learn more at BufferingCast.com or find us on socials at BufferingCast.